Thanks for listening to The Leader. We're going to bring you all the news, analysis, interviews and advice you'll need to get through this coronavirus pandemic, coming mostly from my own house every day at 4pm. Do subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. The Evening Standard is with you in this crisis. We've never quite seen this situation where the sort of, certainly not in our modern history, where the kind of life of the capital grinds to a halt. But, you know, one thing we know is that while we're in this dark tunnel, there is a, a distant light at the end of it. Our editor, George Osborne, tells the Leader podcast what we're doing in the paper and online to help keep people informed. Also, the public still doesn't understand that the government has not fundamentally changed its strategy or analysis. And if it continues down this path, it will mean inevitably that the majority of our population will become infected this year. Rory Stewart tells us the government is risking lives by not acting more aggressively against the coronavirus pandemic. And the parents shouldn't feel like they have that onus, that they might want to have some input in terms of what they're teaching them, but it's it's ultimately the schools that should be communicating their syllabus, communicating what tasks the students want to do. Dr Jamie Frost gives advice to parents learning all about homeschooling. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, George Osborne on the coronavirus outbreak and what this newspaper is doing to help. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Looking down from a silent Big Ben onto Westminster Bridge, London appears all but empty. At Westminster Station, sparsely filled trains arrive at platforms where few passengers stand. But this is not the real story of London during the pandemic. The people are still here, jobs are still being done, the city still moves and the Evening Standard is still being published. I'm at home, but our editor George Osborne is in his office where he joins me now. And George, for us, this is a brand new, unique situation, but the standard itself has seen this before. Well, the Evening Standard has been around for 193 years and we have published in world wars, in, during riots, during terrorist attacks and indeed during a pandemic, the, the Spanish flu at the end of the First World War. And our message to our readers today is we will be with you again in this 
a horrific crisis caused by the COVID-19 coronavirus. And we are seeing every day on our streets of our capital, even though there are not as many people about, that our newspaper is being picked up by hundreds of thousands of people and that many millions of people are going online to hear what we have to say. And that's because I think at a time like this, what people want is accurate news, they want informed analysis, and they want information about how they can uh, look after their health. And indeed, they want advice on how to entertain themselves and keep themselves occupied at home. And that is what a, a great newspaper does. Uh, and that is what the Evening Standard does. Uh, and we will continue to do so. And one of the things we'll be doing is keeping a close eye on the government response as well. Look, I think it's a, the job of a newspaper like the Evening Standard to support the country and those who run the country in an incredibly difficult situation. I, I, I'm afraid, I fear, we're still at the beginning of this crisis. Tragically, over 100 people have died, but many thousands are likely to die in the coming months. And, of course, the economy faces this almost Armageddon situation where everything is, uh, you know, many things are shut down. You know, we support our national leaders as they try and navigate the country through this unprecedented crisis. Uh, but at the same time, it's the job of a newspaper to hold them to account, to probe, to ask questions, uh, to see whether more could be done or whether mistakes are being made. And, and, you know, I think that is also a duty we owe our readers. And so, for example, in today's paper, we have an article from the independent candidate to be the mayor of London, Rory Stewart, who's arguing that the government needs to do very much more to... Uh, essentially quarantine the nation. And you might agree with him, you might disagree with him, but I think it's important you hear his view. Uh, and uh, the Evening Standard is going to be a forum where uh, there's a real debate held, whilst always understanding that no government, however good, uh, could uh, cope easily with this incredibly difficult situation. And Rory Stewart will be on the podcast himself later as well. But one thing I wanted to speak to you about, George, was London itself, which is a, a city which is going to be very hard hit by coronavirus, possibly the hardest hit in the country. But this is a resilient city, isn't it? Look, London is an incredibly resilient city. We've been around for a couple of thousand years as a place where people live and love and do business and, and, and interact with each other. And, you know, we have been through blitzes and you know, all sorts of tragedies. I think we've never quite seen this thing where the situation where the sort of, certainly not in our modern history, where the kind of life of the capital grinds to a halt. Uh, but, you know, one thing we know is that while we're in this dark tunnel, there is a, a distant light at the end of it. Because in the Chinese city of Wuhan, itself also a great and ancient bustling city, uh, where this crisis began, where the virus uh, originated, uh, they are reporting no new cases today. Now, they've you know, been longer at this crisis than we have in London, but it does point to that th there is a future. And, of course, you know, for the vast majority of readers, even if they contract the virus, they will recover. Uh, people will get back to work. The city will recover. And the Evening Standard, just as it will be with our readers during the crisis, will be there in the recovery. Uh, and, you know, in the end, and this is actually brilliantly captured in the cartoon today by our cartoonist Christian Adams, yes, many things are shut, many things are closed, uh, but hope is still open. And, and that is the message of the paper today. 
next. The mixed messages from the government means that I'm getting reports from York and the central of London of people seeing pubs still full. This is crazy at the moment. Rory Stewart says the UK needs to learn from countries like China to beat this virus. In the last 24 hours, there have been no new locally transmitted cases of coronavirus anywhere in China. A month ago, there were thousands being reported every day. It follows the government imposing draconian quarantine laws, restricting travel. In some places, people weren't allowed to leave their apartments for a month. They are far harsher methods and are currently being used in the UK. But Rory Stewart, who ran against Boris Johnson for the Tory leadership role, has written in The Standard to say what China and others are doing should be replicated here. And he joins me on the phone now. Rory, what sort of measures are you talking about? One of them is that many of the things that the government is doing gradually should be done at once and immediately, and should ideally have been done a week or two weeks ago. But it's still probably enough time to do them now. So to give some examples running through. At the moment, the government is emphasizing the isolation of elderly people. We should be isolating everybody without exception. So there should be no movement in or out of homes. There may be a few very, very extreme exceptions that you need for emergency workers, but basically we should be imposing isolation on the entire population, not just on elderly. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. People, if we want to suppress this disease and reverse it. Secondly, the government's talking about closing schools on Friday but leaving exceptions for the children of emergency workers. They should be closing all those schools. Children transmit the disease and they will transmit the disease to those emergency workers. But Rory, if I can just pick up on that point there, if we don't have emergency workers at hospitals because they're at home looking after kids at home from school, then that's going to put more pressure on hospitals. So we're not the first country to go through this. China, South Korea, many others have had to deal with this issue. The answer is that you have to find a way of providing care for those children at home so the emergency workers can get into their jobs. But the best way to do that is not to congregate large numbers of children in schools where they will transmit the disease from one to another and then take the disease back to the households. That sounds fine in the short term, but in the medium term, that just means that your emergency workers are going to get infected more quickly. The other thing, though, is, Rory, that the UK is not China. We don't have the same kind of government. We don't have the same kind of culture. This is not an authoritarian state. If we try and clamp down on the public in the same way that China has, surely that would be met with resistance. It's possible that it would. But remember that democratic countries like South Korea, which are not China, have also managed to reverse the course of this epidemic. They've done it through another thing that the government is not doing, which is very, very extensive testing. South Korea tests about 10,000 cases a day. We've largely moved away from testing. So another way to approach this would be to do much, much more rigorous testing. 
We should also be closing, obviously, all restaurants, bars, pubs immediately. The mixed messages from the government means that I'm getting reports from York and the central of London of people seeing pubs still full. This is crazy at the moment. It's completely crazy that members of Parliament, when they know that a number of them are infected, are now going into Parliament again this afternoon. So people are not taking measures which are tough enough if what they want to do is what I believe we should be doing, which is suppressing not mitigating. And I keep coming back to this technical difference, but it's very important. Suppressing is about reducing the number of cases daily, very radically. It's reversing the course of the epidemic. What the government is still trying to do is take measures which are, they feel are hard enough to flatten the curve. In other words, make the number of cases go up more slowly, but they're not hard enough to actually start reducing the daily caseload. And the problem with the government's approach is that even with the most extreme flattening in the world, you're never going to be able to flatten enough to get within the capacity of the NHS. You're still going to overwhelm the NHS many times over. You're still going to end up with hundreds of thousands of people dying. The only alternative to that is to follow a Chinese or South Korean or Japanese or basically an Asian model where you take much, much more radical efforts to suppress. Has this virus already changed the UK as we knew it? Yes, um, and it will change it much, much more in the future. So, and we're barely beginning to sense our way through this. The first is that the economic impacts will be beyond anything, I think, that we've seen since the Second World War. The last time that we actually had to think about this scale of mobilization, had to think about how you deal potentially with food rationing, had to think about an entire workforce being removed was when we were fighting a war. And remember that involved a 40% contraction of our GDP. So we're moving into a world now where we can feel it already. You, you will have many, many friends and many other people listening to this will have many friends who are already being laid off. Many, many people in Britain are on very temporary contracts. And we are a service economy. In London, 92% of people work for services, and a lot of those are face-to-face -face services. And they're very, very close to the financial edge. So people will be laid off very, very quickly, and it will become very important for the government to provide financial support to people. I would suggest that the government now considers moving immediately to a basic in income payment. In other words, giving people £1,000 a month regardless in order to keep them going so that they can pay for basic groceries and keep themselves going. And you can read Rory's article in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. Now. Barney, listen to me. Can you read that for me? No. So around our house, we're starting the great adventure of learning how to do homeschooling. And clearly, we need some advice. So earlier, I spoke to Jamie Frost, who gave up a job as an investment banker to set up the online learning site drfrostmaths.com. And since the coronavirus pandemic began, he's seen more than 100,000 additional visits per day. And I began by asking him, what's the first thing parents doing this should be doing? make sure they've checked the school's arrangements. So many schools have like a virtual learning environment. My school, Tiffin School, uh, we've been using something called Google Classroom to make sure that the work is set there. Uh, we've also obviously been communicating with students via email to provide a kind of video conferencing links uh, if we want to. 
uh, actually present some material uh, to the class. And the school might have other arrangements as well about logins to certain uh, subscription websites they might have and so on. So I think that's the most important place to start, to, to check the, the school's arrangements, um, because most schools generally have a kind of clear plan about what they want students to do uh, for that home learning. If I was at school and my school was closed, I'd be thinking I've got an indefinite holiday here. How do you kind of make them or should you make them sit down and, and do schoolwork? I think if parents can check the child's uh, timetable that they would usually have in, at school and try to follow that as much as possible, just kind of practical things like making sure that they're, they're sort of properly dressed so that it kind of feels as much like a, a proper school day as possible. And sometimes it's just kind of practical things like making sure that you've got that good environment for learning in the home. Maintaining mental health is, is increasingly important because your kid will feel quite to be honest, quite frightened about the whole experience and, and quite isolated and just making sure that they have that time to get out of the house, have a good break, go for a walk outside. And I think those practical things are just as important as the actual kind of educational aspect in terms of what they're actually learning. I think another problem might be parents kind of feeling that this is kind of overwhelming to do by themselves. But is that what homeschooling is? You know, is there support for people or can people support each other? With homeschooling, the, the parent very much has responsibility of how to educate the child. I still think it's the responsibility of schools to make sure that they're adequately giving work to their students and making sure that's adequately communicated to them. So the parents shouldn't feel like they have that onus, that they might want to have some input in terms of what they're teaching them, but it's, it's ultimately the schools that should be communicating their syllabus, communicating what tasks the students want to do. What kind of resources are there out there for, for people who need advice and also, you know, I guess, worksheets and things to do for their children? So it massively depends on the subject, and I think students would largely be aware of the kind of resources that their school is using. So in maths, for example, um, there's a variety of places for teaching videos. My, my site, Dr. Frost Maths, for example, um, has about uh, 270 teaching videos there. There's also a great guy, John Corbett, who runs Corbett Maths, and he produces a bunch of videos as well. Uh, and for other subjects, there's similar resources. So you've got Geolingo for MFL, for example, Modern Foreign Languages. My son's currently in detention, by the way. And that's The Leader. Subscribe to your podcast provider and give us a rating too. We're back tomorrow at 4pm. <laughs> <laughs>